You're listening to the Scottish Football Forums podcast, the home of Scottish football banter. Hi, welcome to the latest episode of the Scottish Football Forums podcast. We're at season 12, episode 34. I'm John, and tonight joined by Josh Hayden. Good evening, John Boy. Good evening. Uh, and a great appearance on a normal podcast. Done a few of the Scotland ones. Chris, how you doing? I'm good. I, I usually come on for throwbacks, so uh, unless we're talking throwback of uh, shocks to the Scottish Cup, and uh, this will be a normal one for me. How uh, was it a Scottish Cup shock at the weekend? I don't know, there's still something going on. Uh, it is, like, we're recording this on Tuesday night, so it's currently 2-1 to Elgin against Drumchattle. Drumchattle were leading 1-0 at one point, no? Yes. Um, and Scott, how are you doing? You good? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, probably better than you, I'm suggesting. Definitely fine. Um, and we've got a special guest on to talk about the Scottish Cup and what took place over the weekend. Um, no mention of anything. I don't know if any games on Monday, which was good. Um, Robbie Hanrati, Aberdeen fan and journalist, how you doing? Good evening, thanks for having me John, good to be back on the podcast I know worries, you might not be saying that by the end of the podcast <laughs> So yes, Scottish Scottish Cup weekend, fourth round, exciting times for other big teams And all the small teams like Aberdeen I may as well just get it started and just get to into Aberdeen myself. I mean, Chris, you did a good job of it in the pyramid. Most uh, earlier, I don't know how, three or four gigs, I think. Fair enough, I, I, I had written that before um, the game on Monday night, though. Um, before the I game, never chance, I, never, I never got a chance to put it, actually post it until Tuesday morning. So, <laughs> I, um, I was swiftly writing after it. Yeah, so we'll, we'll discuss obviously what went on in the game itself um, and later on we will hear from John Walker from a Darvel point of view he's the day analyst at Darvel so we'll discuss some of what he's kind of said and we'll talk about the game ourselves alright so we'll start with our point of view of what we think and then later on um, we'll move on to that so where do we start biggest shock ever in Scottish Cup history what do we think yeah I, I don't Absolutely. think there's any doubt of that one. It's I, I, it is hard to kind of gauge it properly, um, because the idea of the pyramid's still fairly new compared to the history of the Scottish Cup. So you, if, if you start going further and further back, I mean, you can go back to like when Arthurly beat Celtic, for instance. But that was back in the time when there was like a, as Jeff has been on here a few times, you know, there's that many sort of leagues set up back then that well, Celtic were in the SFL at the time. I think Arthurly were in the Scottish Football Alliance or something like that was called at the time, so you can't really tell with that. Now we're in a position at the pyramids there, you can tell things like there's 56 places between Aberdeen and the Premiership and Darvill at the top of the, the Premier in West of Scotland. And there's nothing qual- that even compares to that. I always qualify these things with, you know, when it comes to the best players and all the rest of it, my generation. That's the biggest cup upset of my gen- that I've known in my lifetime for, for Scottish Cup. Um, but it's funny because it doesn't actually feel that way when you look at even the supporters of Aberdeen, when you look at the kind of news coverage and stuff, it doesn't feel quite as big a shock. Um, 
as it does just watching the game. Um, but yeah, it's the biggest kind of upset since I've been watching Scottish football. Josh, you watch us up? Um, yeah, look. Um, yeah, look. Obviously, football terms, it's a massive upset. It's it's the, the biggest. I mean, if you look at it on paper, there's never been a team of well, in certainly in modern history, there's never been a team at Darvel's level um, has beat a team of Aberdeen's level um, in the cup. Um, so you know, it is history making. Um, I would add a couple of caveats and say that the Darvel team is predominantly made up of Championship and League One um, and League Two ex ex players. So I would add that caveat. Um, but you know, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, you like I said, you're still looking at it on paper what level Darvel are. They have a lot of they have a lot of junior players that kind of level in their team. Um, Although their their team is their first eleven is predominantly made up of players who have played senior football, um, so it, yeah, it is it's a it's an absolute giant killing. Um, having watched the game, I mean, we'll go into that, John. But you know, it wasn't. I mean, it wasn't even. You know, they scored and they were backs to the wall for the next. You know, however many minutes. You know, they were very much in the game throughout. Yeah. I couldn't quite believe what I was watching. Aye. Robbie, obviously I met you before the game. You were at the game as well. Yeah. What's your thoughts? Yeah, I, I was just in disbelief. And I think at the time, I shouldn't say it was, it, it was far from funny, but because just the way it panned out, it was just predictable. Even though all that places, 56 places, six tier side, for an Aberdeen fan who's followed us on the road, for years, but specifically the last two years when we just can't win on the road, as soon as that goal went in from Jordan Kirkpatrick, you just thought, I can't see a way back here. And you shouldn't be saying that with the squad Aberdeen's got, but it was just a sad moment in our history. And I have to agree, in modern times, from my 23 years on earth, I've not seen a result of that magnitude. And probably in British football, Cup history in modern times, it's probably not been anything because that's probably comparing, as the guys like Ali McCoy was saying this morning, like the National League North to like playing against lower leg and Premiership team or something, which is really just unacceptable. And I know is that argument they have got high wage budget and everything, but Aberdeen they just didn't didn't wasn't up for it. And simple as that, the better yeah. team, the better team won who wanted it more. The thing is, Josh pointed out, you know, these players have played at a higher level and things like that. But when Rangers were in the third division, they were struggling against the top tier opposition and they did have players that were from, you know, the, the Premier League and stuff like that at the time. So it, you still have to produce that performance. And to be fair to Darvel, they did. But equally, Aberdeen produced a horrifying performance and just couldn't. You know, it didn't look as if they were really going to score. Yeah, on that as well. Like, even if you have to say that they are potentially League One standard, Aberdeen are a Premiership team, so they should be disposing of Darvel. And that's no disrespect to Darvel. No, it's the joint. And by the way, that's not what I'm saying um, at all. But, you know, I mean, in terms of, you know, where they are in league positions, there's never been a bigger upset. Um, but, you know, 
if 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 a league if a league one team disposed to Aberdeen, would it be the biggest shock ever? No. But so they're they, they, aren't a league one team. Are, are we saying, Josh, that we we say that that people don't actually fully understand the quality of the West of Scotland Premier is because is, it is a very good standard for those that watch it, or is it just Darvel specifically with the players that they've got? Um, I would argue that, that Darvel set apart. I mean, look, I, I'm the first person to argue that, that the West of Scotland League is vastly superior. A vast majority of teams in the West of Scotland League would easily beat most of the Lowland League teams, in, in my view, um, and and would have a real go of it in League Two. Um, but I do think that Darvel set a step apart. Um, purely because of the amount of money they pump into their team and, and the, the the amount of money that, that they they have to pay the players that they have at that level, um, you know the, the quality of it because it's really important to put that caveat. No other team in the West of Scotland League has that amount of quality in depth throughout their entire squad. Nobody, not not John's team, Talbot, oh. Matty, Murvin Meadow, not not Cumnock. You know, Quinn Rangers, nobody. So, you know, I, I think taking these things into account as well. But I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to. I'm just here. To, I'm just here to air man a Darvel agenda. You know. Aye. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. The, the Darvels are kind of special case in that, like, because of that budget. I mean, Darvel have got a budget that was half the SPFL would love to have. Is that, well, I mean, they probably spend more money on their groundsmen than uh, most of the teams in the SPFL spend their entire budget. That, to be fair, that grass looked immaculate last night. Considering I'd watched Celtic play at Hamden and I'd watched Celtic play at Celtic Park, and those two pitches are like totty fields at the moment. When you look at what Darvel's got, like, it's, it's phenomenal. I don't know what they're feeding that grass. I don't know no if they... excuses. That's the thing with that pitch. There was no excuses you couldn't have used. Usually you go to like, a lower league team and you'd be like, oh, he's playing on like a field or something, but the pitch was immaculate. They've got state-of-the-art cha- um, what do you call it? Changing rooms and everything. So I can't, I can't really see excuses. And you guys know obviously a lot more about the West Scotland League than I do. So that's putting in perspective that maybe the pyramid needs some changing, and it could be further up. But still, as we've all kind of came to that conclusion, a team that wants and thinks they could be the third biggest team in Scotland losing to any team even below the premiership in this stage of the competition, if that's the ambition to be winning cups and finishing third, then it's totally unacceptable. But, but listen, what's backing up that ambition? What's back, at Aberdeen, and let me throw Hibs into this as well, pretty much more Scottish teams, there's always this kind of chirping away, we want to be doing this, we want to be doing that. There's never anything really backing up that ambition. There's not... Scottish teams don't seem to go, right, we want to play this style of football, so we'll hire coaches that will do it throughout the, the age groups and everything else, and they take time, and they'll go, right, okay, here's a, a five-year project or anything else. It's, what, what can we do now? And that's why, that's why you know, you look at any sort of pyramid system in Scottish football, and it's always feeding the fear of being relegated. So then it just draws its same, the same circle where, everybody's just trying to avoid relegation rather than trying to be better in the long term by actually going, right, okay, we'll play this style of football, we'll then bring in coaches that will mirror that, players that will mirror that, rather than somebody who may have done well at Livingston last season but actually doesn't fit into the 
to the narrative of, of a football club. It's it's bizarre. It's you know you look at all the best teams in the world and they do that and people go ah but you can't you know this isn't Barcelona this isn't Bayern Munich this isn't but but you can still learn from philosophies and you can still do it your own way. You can still use a template to actually there's there's no long term thinking in Scottish football and yes probably you can argue Celtic and Rangers slightly longer but even at that you look at Andrew side and he's got Joe Hart and goals. That's not if you if you were to ask, in my opinion, if you were to ask Ange Postacoglu how you would play football, he's probably going to want a sweeper keeper. And we all know because Guardiola's told the world that's no Joe Hart. So that's you know Aberdeen and you know Hibs because of the results this weekend. You could get rid of Jim Goodwin, but if you look through your club and your structure, is there actually something that's going to say, do you know what? This is how we want to play football. We want to discuss it with the fans. What do you want to see? Do you want to see width? Do you want to see wingers? Do you want to see passion? What's your idea with them? And then bring in, bring in players who fit that criteria, use stats and everything else to actually bring in that criteria. Because that's how everybody else has evolved in football throughout the world, apart from Scotland. And even that, we have improved slightly. To know we've got the performance school that's brought in a lot more players, and that's why Scotland have become a better kind of prospect. But it's not. It's still not enough. We're still trailing, and it's not. I don't think it's all down to money. I think it's actual ambition, and that's why we should go into a league where it's like, right, okay, two relegations, and you actually fight for your lives, and you actually go right, okay, if we get relegated, there's a bigger chance of us coming back up because there's two spots there at least. There's a few points on that. I would say, see, in terms of the ambition, then probably the problem is for your likes are, say, it's Hearts, Aberdeen, and Hibs. You always hear the ambition is pretty much at the start of the season. Let's aim for third because. There is that kind of feeling that there is a close shop. No team's won the league for close on 40 years now. So is it a case that you just think, well, third place, that's what you're playing for. Hopefully get a cup win. That seems to be the way it is. The identity thing. I mean, the whole idea of Aberdeen just now is supposed to be as an identity of playing from the back, attacking attractive football. We've got this director of football with no disrespect to him. It's not a job that seems to be suited to him. It, he's kind of worked his way up somehow and landed in this job as opposed to someone that's got a bit of experience as a director of football that could take the club forward that goes, right, this is what we need. This is the identity. As you talk about five-year plan, this is what we want to do. The whole talk was we want to be a, a top 100 European club. We need to show the ambition to do that by getting the right guys in, the right personnel. Um, I've heard some criticism. Not many people of the recruitment side of things I think recruitment's been fairly alright it's the same with any club you get hit, hit and misses with recruitment you're not going to get every signing absolutely spot on but if you don't have the right identity if you don't have a style that you're going to pr- promote within the whole structure of your club your signings become more missed and hit because you've not actually got a firm belief in how you're going to play football so you're going right well I'll try this guy and then I'll try this guy and see how that plays. It's more, this is how Scottish football is, it's more individuals and teams, almost. Uh, yeah, I and, think Robbie will probably echo it, though, that all that, the whole idea when Goodwin came in was that the attractive football get pace in, but it seems to be that, you know, an example is Richardson at right back, I think Robbie and me had this conversation. It's all very good getting a guy in who's like, you go, right, he's got great pace, but you need to have other attributes in football. You can't just be a pace monger. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll just come in here. And that, um, it's good link, John, but I totally agree with that Jim Goodwin 
his identity teams like Jim Jim Goodwin and Dave Cormack have both went on about ambitions of being a top one hundred club and the way they want to play attractive football and everything. And in the summer, Goodwin brought in players like Shaden Morris, Callum Roberts, Jaden Richardson, Hayden Coulson, players that can play wide as either wing backs or as wingers. And we've still got Johnny Hayes and Matty Kennedy. But the problem is, after such a poor start to the season in games, especially after that Dundee United game, he had to adapt to complete different formation, which is now not suiting these the players he's bought. So you, you make a complete great point there that nothing adds up and it's like there's no identity because the squad is not matching up to the way that we're supposed to be playing. But now looking at even the way he played against Dival, there was only one team that had an identity and looked like they knew what the game plan was. I couldn't really see any game plan. Like you've got Anthony Stewart as captain, but you couldn't really see him leading or like implementing or you get wide of a space or whatever. It was the fans that was directing that for most of it, which is really poor for a club of Aberdeen stature that doesn't seem, and that's what been a year now that Jim Goodwin has been in the post nearly, that hasn't really been a consistent style. Like he's chopped and changed, even the subs one minute he's putting on Morris and Watkins against Rangers in that capitulation before Christmas. And then the next minute, there's nowhere to be seen. So it just really doesn't add up. And I think that point is kind of, it's kind of sad for Scottish football when you think of it, that teams such as Aberdeen, surely everyone at the start of the season, you'd set out to win the league, even though it's not, it's a very ambitious. What's the point of turning up every week if you think, oh, well, okay, third, or let's, let's just stay up or something. Like, I just think Scottish football needs a rethink altogether, in a sense, and that comes with the pyramid and maybe an extended top flight or a more level distribution of money. Uh, Robbie, you 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 touched you touched on it there. One thing that I was going to bring up was um, watching the game. Well, a couple of things actually. Um, I think one thing that's important to pick out as well um, was Aberdeen going to Darvo is you know it is a real fish out of water scenario. I mean, you know, I mean, John, uh, Chris, Scott, you know, I, we all at varying levels follow the West of Scotland Football League. Um, can you imagine going to a West of Scotland game and a team like Aberdeen coming to town and, and, and being five yards away from the abuse that they get from the fans? You know, I mean, you're talking, I mean, and, and that's one of the things that we all love about the West of Scotland Football League is, is just how close you are to the action and, and how intimate it is. And, and, and in, the, in the premiership, that's lost to it. An effect, um, because it's obviously a, a much kind of higher and more professional level. Um, so I think there might have been an element of that as well when they went one nil down. That you know they were a bit kind of caught in the headlights. But like you said, Robbie, for me, I, I, do you know? I, I actually I felt like I was watching a Giovanni Van Bronckhorst team last night. It, it, there, there was an absolute horseshoe going on. You know, th- there was no there was no running past the lines. I mean, these are at the moment. Not average players with Arvo, but but these are players well below Aberdeen, right? And and you're looking at they can't even, you know, you're looking at players running out the wing, and they're not even beating their men, you know. And um, there wasn't seeming to, there wasn't really seeming to be any kind of identity. It was 
back to side, out swinging in crosses, and and that's route one. That's junior football down to a tee, or west of Scotland football down to a tee. Um, I thought he's just played right in at Darvel Sands last night. Aye, I mean their centre backs in particular. I think the interview will come with John Walker later. They could have touched on some of these points, but um, when they seen that Duke was playing up front themselves, their centre backs they lapped it up all the time. Balls in the air, long balls. That's like meat and drink to to these defenders. So they were delighted with that. You look at, I mean, why we left Graham Chanel? I don't know what's what's going on there. That's an t- ideal game for Chanel to play. His experience in the middle of the park, but it's going to be a battle. You need to win your physical battles. They're going to be in your faces and fighting for every ball. They won practically every second ball. I, I genuinely think Aberdeen maybe never even watched double play. Because they were it looked like they were they just expected to turn up and and win because Darbo played pretty similar to what they play against other teams. Like can I, can I, John, can I just check with you? Sorry, um, you're talking about the Darbo centre backs. Can you just can you just confirm was that uh, the, the Darbo centre was that backs was that ex Peterhead Cameron day and ex Air United Daryl Mega? Aye, is that centre backs you're talking about? Yes. Right. Okay. But they were, they just, were so, lap- just so we're clear, they were lapping up though the fact that they were up against Duke. By themselves. Uh, but but uh, you, you see my point, though. I do, aye. But if you do, if you play long balls, like at that level of football, generally, if you're playing long balls, most defenders would rather that. Whereas if you play the ball into, into feet, into ground, you're turning players, you're having like Mayovsky running into channels, dragging centre-backs where they don't want to be. Centre-backs at any level don't want to do that, regardless of whether it's top flight or whether it's uh, tier six. They want to play in front of them. Like and that's all they had to deal with predominantly. I mean, Robbie, do you know why Shinny was didn't he get involved? No, no, but that that was really frustrating that second half when you're crying out for a bit of leadership. The fans, as you say, with Josh were being so close to the pitch and everything. The Aberdeen fans, it was getting toxic, but you knew that if Stuart wasn't doing the leadership. Shinny was sitting there on the bench. Still one a goal down. It's getting to half an hour to go. You're thinking to yourself, come on, you might be resting him for Easter Road at the weekend, but this is, this is for your job. This is for a Scottish Cup place. Get him on. And then time was going on and on. And then they put Roberts on, who has not, has not played since August, and left Shinny on the bench. And it just leaves so much rumours now. I don't know for sure, because definitely not injured from what I can gather because why would he be on the bench if he ahead of someone else who could be useful like Babbage or something if he was injured it just it just seems like it could have been something said was there something said before that or after that Hearts game because Shinny done the press duties after that had he said something that touched a nerve because we all know Jim Goodwin seen Christian Ramirez David Bates Andrew Constantine Scott Brown there's quite a few big characters supposedly yeah as well, so it's one of those that surely I do hundred percent believe Graham Shinney was a great was a Dave Coymack signing to try to get the fans on board amid the really poor run rather than a Goodwin signing. But you still would think in a state of need you would call on someone of Shinney's experience to at least come on and try save the game. And the fact that he didn't raises a lot of alarm bells, and I really hope in a pre-match press conference, which maybe will take place in the next couple of days, if Goodwin's still in charge, he's asked what the situation was, why he didn't 
come on the pitch because that what all fans are asking at the moment is some clarity and transparency and that's another one that's just bumbling away in the background like why was he not there why was he not on the pitch Yeah, but I, de I definitely think Aberdeen never did their homework because Darvel pretty much played the way they play every week. Was it many differences? Like when you'd seen Darvel playing Meadow, for example, Josh, do you think there was much difference between what you've seen last night and what you've seen normally? Uh, no, well, no, remember uh, what we've seen through Darvel in the past couple of years, no. Um, you know, and, and and I'll get a chance to hear my anti-Darvel agenda in due course. Um, but uh, no, no, I mean, they were the same Darvel as always, um, you know, playing well above their level. Um, and um, not surprised, you know, it was silky stuff. They've got a great pitch. Um, you, were, you were talking about the pitch earlier, Robbie. Um, I think they've had a new pitch laid since the, a couple of years ago, but I do know the la one of the last pitches, I think they got it from Ibrox, didn't they? It was Rangers' old pitch or something like that. There was a story there. Yeah, I did hear um, a story about that. It was yeah, like yeah. top of the range or whatever. Aye, aye. But, but they've had a new pitch laid since then. Um, and they've spent, well, they've spent Browning's pies money uh, on, on getting their, their new pitch. Um, but it's, uh, yeah. Um, of course, Darwell's a self-sustainable club, remember. But uh, I, they were they were the same, um, I same same as they have been for the past couple of years, and and I was surprised at how well Darvel played against Aberdeen. But then does that not say more, John, about what I was saying about the lack of kind of professionalism that seems to be at the heart of Aberdeen in terms of you know I, I look at the, the the loads of titles that you look at the Aberdeen um, management team, you've got. Development phase manager, you've got pathways manager, you've got all sorts. But are these just titles? Are, are, are these people who are just being given jobs and don't know how to do the actual roles? I, mean, it, 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 I, I just get the feeling that Aberdeen are soundbite. It comes from the top, it comes from Dave Cormack. They're like a soundbite. They like to say that they're doing the right things. A top 100 club in Europe, they like to, we want to do this, we want to, you know, the stadium should just be totally out of the agenda until they find themselves back into some sort of groove where they're a continuously top six club and continuously then going for trophies and finding themselves in third place. And when I say going for trophies, I mean getting to regular semi-finals and the odd final here and there. It, it's just... For me, it, it's it's beyond Jim Goodwin. I, I don't think Jim Goodwin's going to survive, and I don't think he's the right person for it. I don't think he can turn it around, but I think it goes beyond Jim Goodwin. I'm surprised we're still talking about Jim Goodwin even possibly surviving. I mean, like, <laughs> by the time John Barnes, but it'd be 24 hours it expired that John Barnes was away. So how how is how is Jim Goodwin still on the job now? It's been a day. <laughs> There, been some I think you're right. It's not just it's not just Goodwin's problem. I, th I think Cormac, since the he, day he's walked in the door, has just been a clown <laughs> for Scottish football. It's just like what's he done? Right for Aberdeen, he, he's taken them for what? Named the training ground after himself. Aye, I oh, seen a post about that. <laughs> Named the training ground after himself. Phoned up Sport Sound and lost the plot, and he appointed his mate as uh, the manager, which never worked out, and then. Obviously, he's went and got a good one. She's supposed to improve it, and 
I, I don't see what benefit Cormac has brought to Aberdeen in any way, shape, or form. They are going backwards. In fact, backwards would be a direction. I don't think they have a direction. Like so Scotland, that's an interesting one, though, because even Goodwin took over. I think most of our fans were relatively pleased. You say, Robbie? Yeah, I would have said I, most I, of us were pretty pleased to go over. I would there say was so. some people that weren't quite so sure. Um, but generally, we kind of felt it was a good appointment. Well, I thought that... it was a good appointment as well, but it, it, it was a, it was a gamble because he'd never really managed it. Like, he, Goodwin's been managing the teams well. There's a very tight budget. He's having to work with whatever he's got, and and he can he can get teams to a certain level. But then Aberdeen was a complete step up for any of that level. If like, like if Goodwin gets Murden to finish seventh, then that's well, they're slightly disappointed they missed out in top six. Yeah. If you get Aberdeen to finish seventh, you're getting sacked. Well, maybe, maybe not. And is it, again, too much, is it too much of an emphasis on the, the role of manager in Scottish football as well now when you compare it to the rest of Europe and everything else? Is it I think still. It depends on the manager. Yeah, well, when Goodwin came in, but I don't it's... think he was too keen on working with a direct stuff football. I think he's of your old school that he wants say in terms of who they're signing and all that type of thing. And but, when you see but... different reports online, there's a wee bit of conflict with that because you've got Mowbray, who by all accounts, what people think is that he's brought in the likes of your Miofsky, your Duke, your kind of foreign signings, whereas Goodwin wanted your likes of Morris, Scales, and I don't know if that's true or not. Maybe, Robbie, you'll know better in terms of the recruitment. Is it all Mowbray? In terms of Goodwin just saying, right, I want these positions, and he's going to go, right, here's a list of five or whatever. Right, let's see what you think. I, I you personally, prepare. from what I gather, that Darren Mowbray, Jim Goodwin, and... And what Stephen Gunn, director of football, they, they would meet and discuss all these sort of things. But as Coymac tweeted when it was kind of that vote of confidence, I think it was after the Hearts game when he was like, they've been scouting 26 countries. And I do, and I do think fair play to Darren Mowbray. I think he probably is credited for the Dukes, Ramadanis, the Miofskis. But yeah, the likes of Richardson, Morris does seem, I don't know for sure, but it seems from what I gather that that was kind of like, Guys, it was ready on Goodwin and Sharp's radar, maybe from St Mirren, and he knows them, knows their capabilities, and thought, oh, they can maybe do a job at Aberdeen, which yeah. they clearly can't. And it's just showing that even now his recruitment, Richardson has let him down too many times that you won't even put him on. You think a game against Darvel, and this, I knew Darvel wouldn't be an easy game, and I shouldn't say I wasn't showing them respect, but Aberdeen. If guys are competent, we paid money for such as Morris and Richardson. They should be able to start that game and go through it with enough ease to beat a team, even if they're at a level two levels below. So, yeah, it's just a, it's a lot wrong within the club. I said on another podcast earlier that maybe an Alan Alan Burrows or a Leanne Dempster is the sort of person that Aberdeen needs to get in because Stephen Gunn is been at the club since 2000, since he's done his university placement, and he's had every single role at Aberdeen Football Club, from booking the buses to the T-man and everything, and now he's director of football. Um, I'm not taking away from the guy that he might have his intentions right, but we need a footballing brain, because I don't feel like if Jim Goodwin inevitably does get sacked or walks, I don't trust Dave Coymack and Stephen Gunn to get that next appointment right, unless they get whole restructure behind the scenes and get a proper director of football or CEO in that knows the stuff and has got a bit of a track record in that. 
or we just got to go round in circles completely, as Scott says. Well, the it's thing quick. is, if you've got if you've got a transfer policy where your director of football or your chief scout head of recruitment's bringing in a few foreign players, the manager's then bringing in players that he's like, of course it's going to cause confusion because you're not all thinking on the same page. It's, that's why when you're bringing in a manager, they have to sit down and have the same beliefs as your, you know, your head of recruitment or your director of football, whatever you want to position your that does that side of things and that they know that they'll get to bring in whatever players that they're going to bring in. Aye. I mean, the worrying thing as well is we're in the same situation as last year with Aberdeen. We're now at, what, a week before a transfer window close. The squad is completely unbalanced in terms of we're still crying out for a right back. We're still crying out for playing a couple of centre-backs. We let a young centre-back while we're on loan. You're thinking, oh, well, we must be signing someone to replace him to come in. And then at Sim, we know it's like two midfielders and then both good signings. Like, well, Shinny definitely, Mislovic don't need to see. And you're wondering, like, what's going on there? Like, surely, I mean, all the fans can see it. We can all see it. It's a nobody from the no youth team the club, can... How can no one within the club see that there's an imbalance with the squad? There, I think youth-wise, I don't think there's anyone that can come in in those positions by all accounts um, that are good enough at, at right-back and centre-back. Maybe other positions... There's players on the fringes of the squad, um, but not in those particular areas. John, what, one of the things that struck me about Aberdeen, um, and I'll not leave this point too much, but one of the things that struck me about Aberdeen is that one thing that Goodwin was really good at when he was at St Mern was using his own contacts. Um, he brought in, well, to my recollection, he brought in three absolute standout Irish players um, that presumably he, he, he knew either through knowing the League of Ireland or through these kind of contacts at the, at the FAI. Um, Doyle Hayes, McGrath and uh, Joe Shaughnessy. So he, he brought those three in St. Murren. And, and, and uh, look, he, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a feeling at Aberdeen that a lot of the recruitment isn't particularly driven by him and his own contacts. I mean, it might be, but it just feels strange to me that he was so good at recruiting players that he knows um, through his own connections when when he was at St Mirren. And then um, they're bringing in a lot of players, lower leagues of England from from abroad. Some of which, who, some of whom have have turned out to be really good. Um, but he's, the, yeah. I mean, you look at um, I can never see his name. But how you, what is it, Bessui? Fanny. Bessui. Bessui. You look at him, right? I mean, you look at him, he's come in, right? He was really good in the first week, well, but suddenly good wins fell out with him. You know, and, and, and that doesn't strike me as a player that Goodwin brought in knowing that he was going to have a good working relationship. That doesn't strike me as he a was, Goodwin he signing. Was, he was there before. Hey, good one. Was he? Aye. But for yeah, last season? Like last last, last transfer window, was it? Yeah. Uh, we'll in that last okay. transfer window. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so, I mean, so there, yeah, I mean, and then you've got the Ramirez thing. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of players there at Aberdeen that don't really strike me as, as Jim Goodwin signings, really. But at, at the end of the day, Chris says he's on borrowed time. He's, in my view, he's going to get sacked in the next couple of days. So it's, it's inevitable, point. I think. I mean, I think if all we're doing is delaying inevitable, it doesn't happen this week. 
he's not going to last the fight. I don't think you'd even have as many as 5% of the fans now would say they would back him. Whereas I think after the semi-final against Rangers, there was a wee bit of turn point. You thought, all right, okay. You can see that maybe there is a bit of fight about this team, a bit of character. And then the last week, the lose 5-0 and the game against Hearts when we still got a chance of third. I mean, some people still say maybe if we brought in the right man just now, you could maybe do it, but nine points ahead. The hearts are looking good. It's, it's just frustrating. He's, he's finished. If, if he, the problem will be it'll end up becoming... Last night, I think we were quite lucky the fact that it was a Monday night and folk had to go home in the buses and get home, get away from the ground. Otherwise, I think there'd be a, few, a pretty much full-scale riot. Would you agree, Robbie? Yeah, I, I, I thought... I shouldn't say they got off lightly because it was still very toxic at full time. And even during the game, as the game got on longer, there was a lot of personal things said. And I think it was Goodwin, Lewis, Ramadani, maybe Hayes that came over to the fans at the end. But Lewis definitely came over and he was getting a bit of abuse. Yeah, and I think that was just and, because he was there. It wasn't because yeah, of the there, Lewis. There, 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 was a, like there was a lot of abuse and a lot said. And there's been a lot said online and on streams and social media. But I think... I agree. If that was a home game, people would have been going a lot more ballistic. But because it was in a small town of Dival, people needed to catch last trains, buses. It was kind of like a swift and exit. And um, I think they think they did get off lightly. And the fact that I don't know if you heard Anthony Stewart's interview after the game, but saying like people need to stop taking it, aka the players, as a joke, and realise that they need to get consistency and. I, I hate to nitpick it like the captain because I feel like he gets a lot of abuse, but it just I think that was one of Goodwin's, as Josh says, decisions Goodwin's made, people that's been brought in. Anthony Stewart brought on and then made captain was just a bizarre one. And I don't think he's even that poor of defender at doing the basics, but trying to implement what Goodwin's wanting and be captain, it's just not working. And you mentioned Hearts. Hearts are doing the polar opposite. That's where they're so ahead because Robbie Nielsen has now got a style that suits the players that's there and the players that's on the bench. They've got a big enough squad that they come in and you don't really see too much of a drop-off either. And I know you could say if you stuck with Goodwin and you had a good transfer window, you could turn it around. But I just think we are generally in the inevitable and the fact that it's not been a sack-or-back sort of statement, it's just making people more infuriated and to hear people like Ali Begg, prominent broadcaster, really lose it on a stream earlier. Golfer Paul Laurie today was saying the same, shouting for the manager's head, saying that the results have been horrific and the players are not up for it. Like you've never really seen this, you probably know John, like under McInnes. You don't ever see prominent figures come out and say, Oh, this is enough's enough. So I, do, I really think it's a turning point in more than just the manager really needs to have a rethink, the whole structure behind the scenes or just go round and round and we've got to be in the same position every year with no forward thinking or planning. And that goes from the youth academy to the PR of the club to just the general day-to-day. Taking it, taking it back to the light street on to Goodwin, you've mentioned the amount of players that he's fallen out with, and predominant players and stuff like that. As he came into this scenario, a bit like David Boy's uh, um, Manchester United and just wanted to change too much too soon and he's kind of, because modern day footballers, you can lose them quite quickly if you treat a few 
good pals, do you know what I mean? The Considine one still sticks in my head as being the kind of, I know agents aren't the kind of best storytellers, but if it goes true that, you know, they didn't treat them, or specifically Goodwin didn't treat them well on the way out, then it seems to be a domino effect that you got quite a few players that, you know, the, the, the Joe Lewis situation, the captaincy, and, you know, it, it, it's as, almost as if he's played into his own downfall because he's not actually come in and just steadied the club, brought the players on board. He's just went, right, well, if you're not with me, you're against me. And then as soon as somebody falls out with them, it's, they're kind of showing the door. Now people are thinking the same with Shinny and he's only just turned up at the club. This is the thing. I, it's it's not as if this is an isolation. Like you can survive a cup shock if it's if it's just like one off and everything else is going quite well. I mean, if you take like uh, like Celtic and Inverness is the obvious example because John Barnes was sacked after that Inverness defeat. Three years later, Celtic lost to Inverness again in an almost identical situation. Like Celtic were second in the league. Inverness were fourth or something like that, so there was like, there were 16th because there was now 12 teams, just as it had been when, when Barnes lost. The difference was, Barnes came into that game having binned a two-goal lead at home at Hearts the previous week. Martin O'Neill had just knocked out Liverpool in the UEFA Cup quarter-final. Like that, that, was a, that was a game that was in isolation. It was the same again when Clyde uh, came up. Like Gordon Strachan was top of the league. It was his first season. He'd had that bad start with Artmedia Bratislava, but he'd Rallied it, top of the league, had just beat Hearts the previous week at Tynecastle, coming for 2-0 down. I went on to win the League Cup, but that defeat to Clyde, was a, that was a worse uh, result than either of the Inverness results. But Strachan survived that because it was an isolation. The good win one here isn't an isolation because it's been crap for weeks. It's what like the 5-0 itself may have got him the sack if it hadn't been a case of, well... With Arvo games coming up, that's a chance to turn it around. That's a gate that tie you should be able to win. We'll see how that goes. We want to have a good Scottish Cup run. I know he's lost that and all. He's got nothing left to stand on. There's nothing to back him up now. In the last the few weeks, has been that, that Hearts defeat. He's had two uh, defeats to Rangers where Rangers have had to come from behind to do it. And each of those games have shot himself in the foot somewhere along the line because it was either they lost the goals in uh, injury time because he couldn't hang on or there was a the captain getting sent off at Hamden last week. And then, of Aye. course, the, 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 the backs to the wall against Celtic where they lost the, the late goal to uh, Callum McGregor. I don't know. Oh, no, United was... as well. That was a catalyst for me, I'd say. Yeah. Like, that was, it, wasn't, it wasn't a catalyst because it was early on, but personally, as an Aberdeen fan, that was when the alarm bell, bell started ringing for me because they was bottom of the league on the back of a horrific form in Europe as well. In relation, like, 7-0 to AZ Alkmaar. And then suddenly... Playing against Aberdeen and turning us over so easily, we didn't play what too badly in terms of possession, but we got ripped apart defensively every time. And that was what September, October time. And the same theme, as John says, we watch it, or we could all probably see it. Aberdeen going into the new season with only two recognized center backs was a cat who are new to the club was a catalyst for disaster. And Goodwin's soundbite after Motherwell at the end of last season. Defence will be an easy fix within a week. It's fairly coming back to haunt him now. Aye, uh, yeah, maybe went a year. Maybe you get the steam you get mixed up, but even then it wouldn't be uh, wouldn't be right. But a few questions I've got from fans. Um, where does Aberdeen go from here in terms of what do they do next? Like in terms of if we're saying that Goodwin's away, I don't know by the end of the week. 
to be honest, I would rip up and start it again, the whole structure of it. The biggest worry I would have as an Aberdeen fan is Neil Lennon because we all know that he can do some things, but we all know it's going to end badly and it's not going to probably take too long for it to end badly. That's the Neil Lennon track record. So that shows that there's just no long-term thinking if it's Neil Lennon in my opinion. Oh, yeah, imagine, a, imagine, imagine. What's been quoted as well. I mean, he's been unemployed for how long now? What's surely Paul Lambert when he was at my job? When he was at Wickham, when he was at Wickham or Norwich, you know, you can see a bit of progress thinking and stuff like that. But Aston Villa killed him as a football manager, he's, and he's never came back. So if it's uh, yeah, Paul Lambert or Neil Lennon, it's just short term thinking. Imagine Neil Lennon with Dave Cormack as the chairman. The sound, the box office is box office. I can't see Neil Lennon at Aberdeen. I don't think because I think the big thing would be fans would just turn on him after the first part was out, but game over. Like, nah. And actually, maybe in a minority, I don't think he's necessarily a bad manager, but he just rumps up people the wrong way. Um. And his, maybe his man management skills aren't the best. I can, to, to, to be honest, John, I think Neil Lennon's a bit like uh, Paul Lambert. His first spell at Celtic, um, and then his initial spell at Hibs, you know, you're thinking, right, this, he, he's got it here. Um, Bolton, Derek Bolton, they were a bit of a basket case, to be honest. But the second spell at Celtic... Um, and the second spell at Celtic was after Hibs, wasn't it? No, that was see, before Hibs. I know, it was, it was after, after Hibs. See, see if Neil Lennon had come Killed in him. to replace the runaway Brendan Rodgers and had just played out that season and left again. He'd have been fine. Oh, he'd, he'd, have went left, he'd have left with his head held high. He'd come in, steadied the ship and left it for somebody else to finish the job. But he stayed on. And see the minute he stayed on, that deflated everybody. Because nobody wanted him to hang about anymore. He got the nine in a row, but... And the he thing is, how he, how he lost the job at Hibs should have been alarm bells for Celtic. Yeah, bring him yeah. in, as you said, the exact scenario should have been bring him in, secure that treble, thank you very much, off you pop to your next job, you've got you've kind of rescued your CV a wee bit, let's see what you can do down south. He stayed on, and listen, I, I don't blame him for staying on. It should, it should, it should never have been in the shower getting offered a job in the first place. Um, Seems so wrong. <laughs> yeah, this is <laughs> Yeah, that, yeah. So, um... John, you you've offered a few jobs in the shower, haven't you? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I mean, other names that have been linked: Jack Ross. Another awful shout. Jeez, oh. Uh, really? Duncan Ferguson. Uh, that's yeah, that's yeah, not a Duncan, bad Duncan, Duncan, Duncan <laughs> that's Ferguson. That's the best one of the list so far. Aye, he's on the betting odds. Uh, Derek he's Adams. The, he's the wrong guy. Like Der- Derek Adams, Jesus. Is, is that really... Uh, really? I mean, you'll be fucking seeing Jim McIntyre next. Yeah, that's that's so like, amazing, Duncan Ferguson. Like, Scott, if he's getting offered the Everton yeah. job and the Aberdeen job in the same week. I, I've, I've, I've got an outside, I've got an outside shout, um, shout right? It's maybe more sentimental as an Aberdeen fan. Before my time, Tony Kumbari. Oh yeah, he's uh, managing uh, Nantes in uh, France. Like I think all these names are like Lamberts and 
Lanning, Ross, I echo what you said about Lanning. I don't think the fans would take them at all. The guys on PLZ earlier, two of them both said Martindale. Out of, he would be a Goodwin type appointment of he's the best available on a budget in Premiership, but we need a restart and look out with. So surely is it someone who can come? I was talking about that Knutson, but we're not going to get him now. But Aww. someone from abroad who maybe sees it as a stepping stone to do well and then, like I know Celtic are a different level, but like we've seen a lot of players do with Celtic, move from abroad, stay a couple of seasons, prove their worth. I'd love to see us think out the box and have a proper process, as Dave Coymack would call it, and instead of appointing his mate Stephen Glass, a good win who I must swallow humble pie and say I wanted when McInnes left and I thought he would be a good manager. And I'm, he might still prove to be a good manager, but just not with Aberdeen Football Club. He's still a young enough manager, but it needs to be a proper thorough recruitment process. And I personally would part ways of Goodwin tonight or tomorrow morning and put Barry Robson in interim charge and have a proper, and Neil Simpson and have a proper couple of weeks to actually get the appointment right rather than just appointing a Neil Lennon right now because he's available because then, as you all say, we all know Neil Lennon's track record with he'll fall out with someone sooner rather than later, either behind Aye. the scenes or the board or the media and it's we don't want tarnished with that as a club, a reputation's already in the mud at the moment so we need someone that's got to try to lift that spirits again. Would Steve Clark leave Scotland job? Really? Is Erin... Just left her body and so and joined into your two. You're going, Steve Clark's leaving Scotland for Aberdeen and Antoine Kambwari's leaving League on Nantes to go to Aberdeen. You'll not be poaching any managers. Uh, I think it'll be somebody unattached or maybe a, a lower league. Aye, come on. You, you're level. You've got to look at who's out of work. Who are the Kennedy, maybe. Kennedy, aye. After that inspiring team talk, I'd rather him in the dressing room than uh, Jim Goodwin, who was standing on the touchline. John will notice that yesterday, unanimated completely compared to the Dival manager. Um, right, okay. But I like to just throw these things out and quickly get shot down, so it's all right. If you, um, if you, if you get the right balance, I would say you have everybody working together. I don't think you know somebody like Sean Maloney in that kind of environment, but it has to be six months now. You have to get more in, in the kind of traction to go into the right direction. Um, but I, I honestly think it's going to be somebody that's going to be short-term thinking. Well, I'm going to end up like him, basically. That's what's going to happen. We're just going to change our manager every year. Um, but at the same token, there's no way Goodwin can be in after last night. Um, this question... I don't really, I, I probably know the answer before I ask it. Is third within, is there a chance if we change manager? If Aberdeen were to change manager, no. we'd third? No. No. I don't think it matters. I think Hearts are getting third. Yeah. Right, okay, that one's quickly answered. Um, and then we've answered this one already. We replace the manager or bring in defenders. Both. With regards to that. Um, so I uh, we've probably done enough summarising in terms of that game. Um, we'll give you a bit of positivity because the other John, John Bleasdale, interviewed video and data analyst John Walker. So we hear from a double point of view and how they went about securing the victory and 
the events afterwards in the, the news today. So we'll leave you with that just now, and then we'll be back with a roundup of the rest of the action. Oh, it's the other John. Um, wish I was in a better mood after Aberdeen's shock defeat by Darvo in the Scottish Cup last night, but there are two sides to the story, and what is a great um, occasion for Darvo Football Club. Um, I'm Delighted to be joined by um, John Walker, who's a video analyst at Darvo, amongst other things. John, thank you for coming along. Uh, first of all, um, ask the obvious, how are everyone just now? Um, I think everyone's in very different spirits, to be honest, depending on how far they were out last night. But um, I'm good. I'm good. I'm clear of mind. I had a very boring celebration night. I took it easy. Um, <laughs> came home and watched the game as soon as I got in the house. Um, watched that again today. I don't feel like it's sunk in. I feel like I when it, I feel like when it's sinking in, I get a new message that makes it sink in less. And it's like I got a message saying it was on Australian news earlier on, and it was on Canadian news. And I was like, this is ridiculous. This is I was coping with talk sport. I was talk, coping with ITV news, but now it's like I think before the game, I think we realised Mick keeps saying to people Mick's speech that was recorded in BBC. That's the way Mick talks every single week. Mick 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 has me putting on a show. That's the way he talks, but from the minute the draw was made, he was getting, he let everyone talk up the difference in levels for the first couple of days and then completely bend it, go back to focus on the, the games we had in hand. And if anyone mentioned the levels difference, Aberdeen, they get shot right in and were told that that wasn't the way we were going to win this. It had to be full belief from the goal. So this wasn't anyone blowing smoke. We have had buy-in from every, every single player has been confident, especially from the last fortnight. It's been... It's been ridiculous to the point that, and you've got me on social media, so you know what I'm like. It didn't really feel like that much of a shock to me. Like, I, I, as my role, I, I kept saying this to, to the kit man, Jerry. I, I watched like 15 of your games, um, and then I even handpicked a few different ones, like Ann and Peterhead, Patrick Fissle, whereby the onus was on Aberdeen to be the more dominant team in control, possession, and actually attack, because I wasn't going to learn much from the Rangers and Celtic games. And I just think the Hearts game probably gave everyone a little bit of lift they actually needed um, when they seen how how exploited Aberdeen can be even in a 50-50 game because that was to be fair that was never a 5-0 game watching that back but it was just showing how weak Aberdeen were defensively and how much you could exploit them if you got at them and if you pressed them they would they would avoid playing football if you pressed them high up the park they would just go long um, big mistake no starting Miofsky and starting with Duke through the middle it played right in our hands it made it I don't want to say it made it easy but I've seen Cami and Mega have harder games in our league off of strikers. Um, you see when Miofsky came on and went to up top, it was we were tired after 75. We were that was the only part I would say that we were clinging on and struggling a little bit was that last 15. But yeah, unreal. Yeah, um, you mentioned that you've been an ITV News etc. but now you're an SFF. This is where real hits home for you. <laughs> you was one of the things you, you mentioned about the confidence there. Now, you and your professional role as um, media anal- uh, video analyst, um, how much did you say to them, Aberdeen only try a couple of times a season and it's against your own team, Rangers? <laughs> to be fair, we were in blue and white last night, so it, it could have helped. Um, <laughs> but no, I think all, all the messages that we passed through Mick Southie to then go into training, everything I pass over, it's just really light touch because Mick and Southie and Blair know all the qualities of these players. Like it is, it's actually ridiculous what I watch every training session and every week at games. That's 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 not a surprise to me. Like you heard James McFadden in commentary saying that, going, "This is a West Premier side popping this ball about," and you're like, "Yeah, but 
realistically, these are all boys that should be playing the top flight of Scottish football that have maybe just slipped through the net or are not old enough yet to have made it made the cut. But they are all at that level. Like I've I've not been in doubt of that at any point. Um, I've watched football long enough. I've not been in Premier League clubs to see what the standard is like, but I watch them every week against teams who I've got grit and determination and pressure on stop. Don't give you a minute. And the the players the players are just ridiculous. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I need to to mention because obviously, from people from the out, uh, outset, we'll probably look at this as six tier Darvel versus um, one of Scotland's biggest clubs. Um, it's it's a massive shot, but you think it's not um, it's not a big shot, and that's understandable because you know your players and the belief that you've got. Do you think that Darvel are getting enough credit for this result when you take into consideration some of the reaction? Um, to be fair, I, I think they are. I think everything I've kind of heard has for for once it's been actually positive i don't know if that's i don't know if that's a pure culture shift at the way the actual culture in general is where we're trying to be a bit more positive towards everything that we do but i do seem like i've seen less criticism of aberdeen from the neutrals and more praise of what darville actually did which is nice because that's exactly how it should be that's exactly what was deserved we we stopped aberdeen playing uh, jane i think jane goodman said they, they felt like they never turned up i don't think we let them i don't think we let them at any point they settle on the ball the only time, again, I said it, the only time he's really got settled was when we looked tired. See, when we lost Willie Robertson and then lost Roscoe, the two of them cover 12, 13k a game. So if you take them out your midfield, you're going to start to struggle. Um, and I think that's the only time Aberdeen really got a bit of a, a bit of a grip in the game. Yeah, I think Aberdeen did um, put more pressure on when um, Aberdeen went two up and um, Miofsky came on, as you mentioned. Was a bigger, um, were you prepared for Shinny not starting? Because in a game like this, I mean, I'm speaking from Aberdeen fans' point of view, Aberdeen missed someone in that midfield. In that type of game, you need someone who can put the boot in. And Shinny can, can do that. So I was surprised that he wasn't playing. Do you think that played into your hands as well? Maybe a little bit, but I had him. I think I had one player out. Duncan was the only surprise in the lineup that I had put down. Um, I, I was turning and throwing between whether or not it was going to be Milovsky or Barron that was in centre mid, but I felt like it wasn't going to be Shinny. I felt playing 120 minutes against Rangers, playing against Hearts. I think we'd kind of already clocked that Shinny probably wasn't starting. However, based on what I've seen in the Rangers game from Graham Shinny, Graham Shinny would have made a difference in that game. Well, fair enough. Um, and in terms of um, the credit that, um, that that you're getting from Mick and, um, and Craig just now, what does that mean to you know the, the trust they put in you to go go through all the homework that you need to do on this obsession that um, helps them prepare for such a big game like that? I think it just lets Mick and Southie kind of go and watch a game with a bit of context. So my my analysis of Aberdeen would have been done after the Rangers game. That was the last game I was watching because if I'd left it for Hearts, it would have been too late. And then Mick and Southie went and watched the Hearts game. So I think really realistically all I'm doing is giving them some volume, some quantity of data that they can go and look at. It's not just one or two games on the TV against Rangers or Celtic. I've looked at the Annan games. I've looked at the Fissel game. I've looked at the Peterhead game against lower opposition and been able to show Mick that it's very much samey. Like they, they they don't Aberdeen don't really change. It's one of my it's one of my biggest criticisms of Scottish football is that teams don't seem to have a real identity and style of play to the point that you can actually I'm I'm trying not to sound disrespectful and I don't want to sound like this, but my opinion of Aberdeen was they're similar to Montrose with a better quality of player. Like they're going to play similar style of football, they're going to bank off second balls, they're going to get high up the pitch and they're going to try and create on counters. But obviously the difference is they've got class players all over the park. Um Start not starting Miofsky, I think maybe Shinny as well, but not starting Miofsky was the, the big one for us. I think that was as soon as I seen that, I didn't know much about the boy Duncan to be fair because he's only been on a few times, 
But the minute I seen that, I did think all my panic about how high we, we normally press, I was like, this this might actually be fine because Duke's going to want it into feet over the top. And as long as we manage both distances, he's not going to do anything in the air. Kikami and Megat will head a ball all day. So I do think that's a, that was a huge, huge error. Yeah, it definitely um, played into your hands and you made it work. And um, as, as I said um, to you multiple times, Aberdeen have got no excuses. Yes, you can argue the offside goal, but I think, to be fair, Darvel were still the better team, to be um, brutally honest. Um, next round, Falkirk, um, you know, they're flying high in uh, League One at the moment. Um, there'll probably be a bit more expectation, you guys, being at home and having put Aberdeen out, but um, it won't be that easy. What are you expecting from them? Um Unfortunately, I've not watched them yet. I didn't want to uh, spend any time beforehand on the off chance that we yeah. might play them. But I've got I've got a couple of other games now already sent over to me from from various secret contacts, we'll call them, <laughs> um, to, to start watching. I'm sure Mick will take care of this with his with his usual inspirational speeches. But <laughs> the biggest thing is you, how often do you see it um, where a team performs a big shock and then gets knocked out? off of a quote-unquote lesser team. All got three tiers above us still, right? We, we went to Montrose and beat Montrose, but Falkirk could probably step up from that. I do think at some point the Aberdeen lack of confidence is going to hit home as well. That probably brought Aberdeen down a couple of leagues. The the, the run they've been on the, since the World Cup, they've been pretty much dismal. Um, away from home, they've been terrible. The only thing I think maybe going for us is I looked, Falkirk have got three away games in a row before they come to us. So... For all the forms top the now, that could change pretty quickly just with the run of games, unfortunately, they've got coming. Um, all being away from home before they come to us and play away again. I, I do think we fancy ourselves against anyone, at least to create chances. Um, hmm. I think I think the biggest surprise for us more, more than anything was the clean sheets, and that's not because Chris isn't a, a class goalkeeper. It's just because we do press the game so high, we tend to get caught in transitions with balls over the top. Chris had to make three or four world-class saves last night to keep us in the game. So I think us keeping a clean sheet, we're, we're normally a team that I, I will always fancy to score a goal. Always fancy to score a goal, create a chance. Because the, the three that we have in behind the striker, no matter which one it is, whether it's Stullo or Fergie that came on or whether it's Kirky, Roscoe and Craig T that started, they'll get chances, they'll get goals. It's It just is that way. It's how we look at keeping Falkirk out. And hopefully, if I'm doing my job right, I'll know... <laughs> where those dangers at least are, and then you've still got... See, if I didn't do my job, you've still got Gowser, Megat, Kami, Meeks at the back, and then Chris behind them, and Willie Robertson and Marcus Shield, and it's ridiculous. It's the... I honestly... I, like, we barely trained this week at all. Uh, that was one of the things that I think Big Alan McKenzie said it. We, we didn't get to train at all this week. We had, we had maybe 35 minutes on Saturday because of the way the snow was, the all-weather pitches. We had zero training, pretty much. A couple of straight runs, small boxes for 25, 30 minutes. You could set these boys out with a team talk and they would go and perform. They're, they're, they're so good and so intelligent. It's It just is so easy to, to watch them sometimes. It's just so enjoyable. Yeah, definitely. And um, lap up, you should do. Um, and final question before um, I let you go, John. Um, so what do you think would mean more to the club? Um, getting to the quarterfinals and a potential of like, Celtic Rangers at Ibrook, um, away from home or um, getting into that Lowland League, which um, I know is the big game long-term to get to SPFL? Well, I don't want to put... A, there's no goal achievement yet, and I'm sure Mick will readdress the goals, but at the start of the season, Mick's goals were clear. We win the West Premier League and we become the first sixth-tier team to make it to the fifth round of the Scottish Cup. So 
last night the boys achieved that goal. Um, so I, I, w- I would say if if we reach both those goals, then then it is what it is. I guess if we won the West Premier, we would still have the Aberdeen game to to look back on. But I do think sometimes cup competitions can just open up for you. I remember I was looking at I was looking back at the FA Cup, um, two thousand and eight, the Portsmouth one, and that was the one where. Barnsley beat Liverpool and then beat Chelsea and then got beat off Portsmouth who won the, the final or they beat off Cardiff who lost to Portsmouth. I can't remember which way it was. But sometimes when you look at cup competitions, they just kind of open up. So as a Rangers fan, it's kind of disappointing. The Rangers and Celtic didn't get drawn together because as much as you want both of them, you now start to look at the draw and go, oh, who, could, who could we get and actually potentially go through like who who could go through out the ties that are going to be in the quarters if we were able to pull off another one because let's face it to beat Falkirk needs to be another shock it doesn't matter what we've done last night we need to go and shock Falkirk now because they're top of league one um so no I, I think the West Premier and getting into the Lowland would be the, the key because I feel, feel like there is a bit of I feel like if we didn't get out of this division there's it feels like you've stagnated a little bit um especially as I would I would hope that we would have the confidence to go on and win it, but you've, if you look at the, the table's a bit misleading because Beath are amazing. Um, Auckland like Talbot get games on their, on their side. Um, Pollock are looking good. It's, it, it's a really hard league, and I honestly do believe this is why that why some teams are trying to close the pyramid off. I think they're scared because they, they've seen what teams can do and go up through, and I think teams that are quite happy with their League 2 and League 1 status don't want to be challenged. They want just the, the money that ticks over. They don't want to drop into that Lowland League. And I think that's why they're very key to actually close off this pyramid and stop many teams coming up because I think they realise that Talbot, Pollock, even teams like Beath, even Arthurley, who came up last year into our division unbeaten, they're such a good football inside. We beat them 4-0, but they were so impressive the way they played football. And um, it's just, actually, it's actually enjoyable. Like I, wa- I watch all Scottish football. But I do feel like there's games and teams that I watch and I go, there is no identity of style to what you're trying to do here. You're bypassing midfielders who are probably your best players to go to a big striker and play off that. And then I'm watching these teams that are struggling down in really intense small pitches who are always trying to play football the quote-unquote right way. And it's enjoyable to watch. And I do feel like, actually, I'm, I'm a heart. I do feel like that's what fans are probably more likely to buy time. Like people like Jim Goodwin would get more time if there was like a clear attacking identity to the football side and people enjoy going to the game so maybe if you draw a game you should win but it's been really enjoyable and you understand the process you're like right okay it's, n- it's not working at the new but we are getting there and I, ju- I do that I mean this league is so competitive like I think most of these teams could go into league two and league one and challenge yeah probably and that's um, that's why they're only willing to open up one promotion place at the moment but that's an issue for another podcast but listen John thank you very much for your time and um, I will I can now say best luck in the next round of the cup um, <laughs> and thanks for the ticket and um, thanks very much for ruining my night but um, all the best again no worries mate thank you so yes there was some other ties played um, see before we move on can I just bring it on our point that you've just heard for John no. yes about the the, the the pyramid system because I think that this this will probably have exactly the opposite result here because everyone's going to look at that and go, oh, don't want the teams going with doing there to get higher up. But we need to open up that pyramid. It's 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 crystal clear. And the problem is, it actually goes back to a point that was made earlier about nobody getting relegated. Everybody's got that problem. The SPFL is like a closed shop, just about. And the, whole, like, the whole pyramid. I, the, the pyramid, because 
does that, I mean, I mentioned it myself as well earlier, does that kind of close shop of like only one team out of three comes up in the Lowland League and then from the Lowland League or the Highland League, there's one plays off for that spot in the SPFL. There's too much of this was sitting in the wee comfort zone, no one to lose a cushy number and yet there's a bit of proof in the Highland League at the moment that you can go down and come back up again because Breakin City are running away with that at the moment. Well, not quite. Well, they're no running away with it in points, but they're still undefeated. So, Breaking yeah. City have proved that it's possible to drop out that SPFL and reinvent yourself and actually fight to come back up. So, I would actually be quite inspired by what Breaking City is doing at the moment if I was one of the SPFL teams. But they don't want to lose their place in the first place, so they don't want to open it up. But the problem no, is the Scottish Cup is showing that these teams are more than capable of competing with even your teams yeah. in League 2, League 1. <laughs> Exception of last night and the result, and maybe even teams getting beat in the championship. That's I mean, a great point, John. That's a great segue for me to air my anti Darvel agenda. Um, <laughs> listen, 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 right. Uh, I need to caveat that. Uh, I mean, Darvel can compete while the money is being plied into them, right? I, you, I mean, you've been following the West of Scotland Football League for an, or, or previously the, the, the yep, yep. junior football, the junior right? right? We know what Darvel are, right? Darvel are not a big football club, right? They do not have any fans, right? They, and this is my my big problem with Dar. This is my big problem with Darvel, particularly. I'm not going to discredit what what they're achieving on the football pitch, but they're achieving it through artificial means, um. One of the biggest lies that I've heard told is is that Darvel could be completely self sustainable. No, they couldn't. They, they they do not have a fan base to be self sustainable, um, and and that is the big that is the big worry for me. You know, with Darvel going up um, through the pyramid system, is that they will get to a certain level, and um, you know, and then you know potentially the, the money could pull out. I don't know. Um, but they will get to a point where, where it is not sustainable to spend the amount of money that they are anymore. Um, and, you know, I've, I've I've seen it firsthand. I mean, Irvin Meadow went through a similar um, thing in the kind of mid-2000s, late-2000s, um, not in anything near the scale of Darvel, but the club was left in financial ruins, um, and we're still dealing with it today, and the club only survived through the, the goodwill and the hard work of a select number of people um, that, that are still at the club today. Um, and and my, my concern is for the actual few Darville fans that, that were there before the money started coming into them. Um, and, yeah, and, and, and pff, honestly, all that last night, fucking sickening, by the way. All that, oh, this is a great thing for the community. By the way, right? I don't think I, I think I could probably count on one hand the amount of Darvel players that is born with that is that is from within twenty miles of Darvel, right? The manager's not even for Ayrshire, right? So don't tell me it's a community club, right? Don't tell me it's great for the Darvel community, what? Right. So right, this is me, Aidan. My sorry, but my point is right. My, my point is is that I agree with you, Chris, that the pyramid should be more open for clubs that want to progress. I would be happy for, for for teams to do that on footballing merit, but I would also be concerned about the means that they do it. Um, and, and, and if Darbel are to go up and up and up the pyramid, 
you know, we've seen it happen before um, with, with with teams in the past where money was pumped in and pumped in, but they don't, they're not a club that's um, sustainable in the long term. And, and Darville aren't, despite what anybody says, they are not, they do not have a fan base. Apart from the fan base thing, is that not Rangers you were talking about? Apart from the fan base, Sarah, is that not Rangers you were talking about? For a while, for a while. Listen. Listen, Scott, right? I'm listening. I have no retort. I think you only need to look at the Lowland League but, to see but, the warning sign there because there's a team in the Lowland League called Gretna 2008 the reason they're called Gretna 2008 is because the predecessor of that Gretna 2008 did exactly what Darvill are doing now but they've done it in such a scale that they managed to rise all the way up for the fourth tier which is really entered because it was before the pyramid they got all the way up to the, the, the top flight were there one season went bust and that was the end of them so they had to come I, back as a brand I've, new team. Nobody's like learned that body lesson. Like, I feel like I'm on, exactly, Chris. I feel like I'm on crazy pills. I'm actually seeing this happen with a, a, a team in. The, I'm actually seeing this in a team of the West of Scotland League. They're they're pumping money in. Oh look, where players can charge their phones and and they change it. Right, brilliant, mate. Know what I mean? And and and, and I feel like I'm on. I'm on fucking crazy pills here. It's nobody else seeing what I'm seeing. And no, Gretna with the same Gretna did not have a fan base. Darvel do not have a fan base. Yeah, and the other yeah. thing I see, exactly. Gretna not only didn't have a fan base, they didn't grow a fan base either. And actually, by the time they got to the top flight, they couldn't even play in Gretna. They had to move to go and play at Motherwell uh, for that season. And they actually, like, there was an odd quirk that season where Celtic only ever played Gretna three times in their history, and it was in three different stadiums, because Motherwell's pitch couldn't handle two teams playing on it. We had to play a Gretna away game at Livingston. <laughs> The other thing is, it's a, a pertinent point that Josh brought up. Is there actual financial fair play rules and regulations in Scotland? You've got it everywhere. I, no, else, no, I, don't, I don't think Scott, it's Scott, no, 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 when all the wages are getting paid in brown envelopes after the game. Listen, listen, John and I, John and I know how much players are on at, 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 at the level of the West of Scotland Football League, right? I, I'm no buying. For a, I mean, we're here. I mean, we're hearing official figures about how much the players are on. I, I'm not putting. I'm not accusing any anyone of any, anything, right? But I know how much players are on at our level, right? And they're not on. They're not on significantly. So they're they're on probably a lot less than than you would in League One and Championship level. Obviously, these players that have came down for the Championship and League One have no came down to the West of Scotland Football League. For you know, a, a wee a wee bump and a couple of beers at the weekend. So, I, I I take all the official figures that we hear with a with a pinch of salt. You know, but, but um, even if you look at the, the kind of top tiers, I don't think there's a, enough scrutiny goes into actually how much money a club's earn and how much it can be self self sufficient. I don't think that, that there is enough of that. It's got, and considering nobody... the the crises that we've had in the last, what, two to three decades from various clubs, it, we still, as again, it's the kind of short term, just don't want to, we don't want to worry about it because it happens to us. And yeah, just... Nobody cares about financial fair play unless you need to play in Europe. And at that point, you start having to worry about it. I'm not even convinced the financial fair play that UEFA do is all that great, to be honest. But that, that's when people start caring Cup. about it. I'll only team... watch when they win the Scottish Cup. That'll be them. Aye. We end up in Europe. 
But that's just that. It's, I, like, so nobody cares at that level. They, nobody. The, the only thing they have ever done in Scotland is say, uh, well, if you go into administration, we'll dock you 10 points. That's yeah. that. That's your financial fair play. It's a fear thing. Don't, don't, jo- don't go bust or we'll dock you points. And it's even UEFA. I think UEFA did have that plan. And I think they, they started off at a point where they were kind of really serious about it. But as soon as a huge entity like PSG, Man City, took, was threatening to go to court, all the rest of it, they had to back away. And that's what it's, it's come to. And so it's toothless. It's, yeah. And it, and, it, and it trickles down because the big clubs can be sustained by your oil magnates. That's fine. They're never going to go bust because there's oil coming out of the ground. Like, it trickles down because teams try to compete with them and then teams trying to compete with the teams trying to compete and it just all comes down and it was just like, I, I really like the West of Scotland League. It seems like that's far enough removed from the money that it's still kind of a decent entertaining league where it's not really affected by money too much but there is still the Darvels and then you wonder who's going to try and chase down Darvel and what they're going to do and how much that's going to affect it. I, I hope it doesn't come to that because, let's say, I'm, the more I look at the West of Scotland League the more I'm interested in it but once you get Aye. up to the higher leagues, like the, the Lowland League, is gubbed because of money already. Because that's have you seen the Lowland League this week? It is the most depressing looking thing I've ever seen. Celtic B, Rangers B, tap two. And you're going to end up with a situation whereby what the, it could be the third place team will yeah. end up in the, the playoffs, which uh, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't like the B teams. It's it just doesn't sit easy in a sporting competition. It just doesn't sit easy in a sporting conversation or competition to have that because, you know, they're effectively the third best team. So yeah, yeah, I mean, you, you could legitimately have the SPFL turning and go, why should we bring in the third place team? Let's just, let's just never mind that. We'll just play breaking because they won the England League. I think maybe that's what they were secretly hoping. I feel like John. I feel like after hearing my, my anti Darvel agenda, um, we should I should end on a positive note about them. Um, there are, I believe, there are good people work at Darvel. Uh, certainly, John Walker, good friend of the podcast. So, not to denigrate any of his work. Um, or, he's still listening or, now after your rant. I know. He's I know. Yeah, he's, he's, not, he's still listening anymore. He's uh, unfollowed the podcast in the front. Um, no, but not not to kind of denigrate um, the, the the people at, um, people like that. Um, they, they have drawn a lot of attention to our league, right? And and one thing that is important to say is that Darvel are not unbeaten in our league. They have not had it all their own way this season in, in the West of Scotland Football League, right? So. They are not this all-conquering football team in our league, which which shows you the quality of the West of Scotland Football League. And then beating Aberdeen has drawn attention to that fact. So I will give them their dues in that sense. Aye, and hopefully what it does is it attracts more fans. Like, Darvo need it a fair bit, so that was obviously the hope. A game like that, maybe spending all the money, folk will go, all right, OK, let's go go, and he- go away and kind of watch them instead. I think when... Um, Goal first to over. He was kind of hoping maybe what will happen is some Comaric fans will go and watch Darvo instead. It's no kind of worked out like that. Aye, all, fi- all fifty of them turned up at Irvine Med earlier in the season, John. Um, but that, but yeah, you know, even as you said about concerns about teams, you've had it in Meadow. We've seen it at Halford where they had someone yep. folk come along mm-hmm. or this big money getting mm-hmm. spent. You, you can't do that at this level. It needs to be sustainable. Let it grow. 
you need to have a fan base. The reason why Talbot do so well, we've got a good hardcore support of more than most of the other teams. Maybe all it, maybe comparison, but it's the fans. The fans all contribute to that success and through various different ways. Um, they're no spending money out of thumb means. Things are done gradually as and when they've got the money to do it. Um, so I, we'll see what happens with Darbo, but fair play to them. For last can, I just, can I just weigh on, weigh on on that before you transition to the other games? Like in terms of pumping money in, in like short-term success as Josh and his uh, anti-Darbo agenda, I, I, t- I totally agree. It's like Queen's Park. What if what's looking even more likely could happen than the thought of being in the Premiership next season and the stadium they're building will probably not be a house at least four of the team's supports in the league. Like, it's these things that they obviously hope they're based in Glasgow. They can grow their fan base. Same as likes of Cove Rangers, Kelty Hearts, who have came, maybe FC Edinburgh, who have came through the pyramids or came up faster than they expected. But I, I just all think these are, and it's a, probably the moral of this podcast, a lot of things are happening in Scottish football for a small short-term gain, but this not got to have a longevity about it at all. You can't see it. In Queen's Park's defence, they have seemed to... I did speak to a director and he was on about they are building a process behind the scenes a wee bit more than likes of maybe Darville. But still, I'm, I'm just not convinced of all this in Scottish football, even with the B teams. just makes a mockery sometimes that, as you say, Celtic and Rangers B, these players, they can... Celtic and Rangers, two best teams in the country, they can pick the crop of the talent from all these other teams, so... You expect that even the B teams to be winning everything comfortably. Uh, I've, I've just just you're saying that Robbie about uh, Queen's Park's a bit up, bit off piece, but I just want to check. Maybe Chris or, or Scott will be able to answer this. Is it still a rule? It used to be a rule that in the top flight you had to have a stadium of six thousand. Is that still a rule? I think they scrapped that when we went yeah. to the SPFL. So no, because Hamilton the same anymore. I think it was the same with the grass situation and quite a few rules went to by the wayside. I'm pretty sure that was one of them as well. So we did touch on that about Queen's Park. To be fair, I don't mind. I don't mind scrapping that rule because I think it was still only two teams. Yeah, to 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 financially rook a few teams by saying you have to have that capacity, I think was um, again we're talking about fragile fair play, and we can't say we want that. And then, but if you're going to be in the top flight, we want. That right. as well. It know, was, so that was, I it was like stupid that when they had it because Falkirk got denied promotion, yeah. I think, twice, or at least they got denied the playoffs uh, chance with Aberdeen yeah, Aberdeen, Aberdeen, Aberdeen. Yeah. Um But so they got completely denied. They switched it a bit for Inverness, who got to ground share at Pitodre for half a season while they done their stadium up. And that, even that was a change because it used to be a 10,000 seater stadium you needed. They dropped it to six, mm-hmm. which in itself is stupid because. Like, there isn't 6,000 people in Dingwall and Ross County needed a 6,000-seater stadium. And it's not to suit their fans. It's to suit the two teams that bring big support for them. Was it, so it, it never made any sense. So if that's a way, then great. I, I, I'm, I'm fair enough for that. But In terms of the obvious point, though, it's quite narrow-sighted because Queen's Park are supposedly this ambitious club and they're going to have a stadium of, what, 1,600? Yeah. Someone's, but, yeah. Do they really need anything bigger than that? Someone's not planning very well there. Well, in terms of they could they would get decent attendances I think from away fans like Aberdeen would take 
a good amount. I think Hartswood, Hibswood, Rangers, Celtic. Yeah, but do they throw that money away in the hope that that happens and then they get relegated the what two seasons? Again, we'll talk about long term thinking and planning. Then I think you know you you start you start small and then progress rather than going right here's a five thousand seat stadium that we can't sustain ourselves, but we have to be in the top flight. Right. See, to be honest, Queens Park are probably unique in the fact that they could just go play next door if you need a bigger stadium. <laughs> Their deal. <laughs> I don't think SFA would do a deal, no. Probably not, because um, like, that would be that. far too sensible. Like, we don't need a big stadium for most of our games. Can we just play a couple of games at Hamden, please? Instead of using Leicester Hamden? No. But as point is, is I mean, we talk about this every time we talk about the pyramid, we just do a podcast on the pyramid and how to solve it. You just put, put us on. in charge of it and we fix it in 10 minutes. Aye, we'll fix it. I mean, you, Chris and me, have got similar ideas in terms, and we have done it for about 10 years. Maybe Aye, more. Exactly. And it's, like, it's no change really at changed. all. Like, so yeah. Somebody pointed this to me. To me, that this is probably the most sustained that the top flight has been in its history. It's had twelve teams for like twenty odd years now, and that's it's never had that consistency ever. Just far too long, in my opinion. It's, far, it's, it's, it's never been a good. I've never liked this part. But, but the, and, again, when you're talking about possibly Queens Park going to Hamden, so we could house Raiders and Celtic. That takes you nicely onto the Rangers St Johnston game because is that not exactly what St Johnston did and alienated a whole load of the road supporters by doing so? Aye, because they milked it for what it was worth. They charged them about 30 quid a ticket. So told them that they were only getting one stand for the home support and the other three stands were going to be for Rangers. So St Johnston fans just went, yeah, dodgy. Aye, moving about 50 of them in normal seats. Aye. So, I get, so I, I would always... You know, prefer that a, a team looks after the road support first, even ahead of certain finances for just you know one game like that. Do you know something that's funny about that? I was um, the other week. I was talking to someone from the hierarchy of St Johnson. Um, I, I was at the hospital. I was at hospitality for um, uh, Kelly Celtic semi final the other week, uh, and we were talking about the St Johnson uh, Rangers allocation and. The person that I spoke to felt that the club were doing the best thing. It, they were doing the best thing for the club, and I was I'm actually listening to I'm listening to the guy talking, and I'm like, mate, you are living on another planet here. Your fans are absolutely fuming at you. And it doesn't show any ambition that you're going to actually win that cup tie as well. You're kind of handing over your stadium. They kind of said, "Well, we're we're getting this is our big money game of the season, so we don't we're not planning ahead into actually going for a cup final." I remember Kilmarnock doing it about ten years ago, and it was in the league when Celtic had a chance to clinch the title, and Celtic ended up winning six 0 with like three three and a half stands of Celtic fans. It. But that made a bit more sense because in that game, Celtic were the team gone for something. Kilmarnock had nothing to play for, and so they just milked it as much as they could because they knew Celtic fans were it was going to be massive demand for that game. Whereas this game, as a cup game, it's like St Johnson should have much should be trying to make as much of the home advantage as they can to try and progress to the next round. Because St Johnson, like anybody else, in fact, they probably know better than anybody else. That's the place that teams outside Celtic Rangers have got a chance to win trophies. This is the same St Johnson team that two years ago won the cup double, and now they're basically throwing it away just so they can get a, a payday. In, in exa- exactly, Chris, but they, they should have used that cup double, even though it happened in the COVID season, they should have that, used that as a 
chance to kick on and try to grow that fan base around Perth because I know Scottish football already has that disease, you could probably call it, of people not supporting the local team and supporting Rangers and Celtic. And apparently Perth is really bad for it. And you see that by St Johnson's core support. But the fact you would alleviate fans even more so in a competition that you was holders of two seasons ago, just it was just baffling. And no wonder, like, was it um, Fair State Unity or whatever, the, the St Johnson group, like, they'd put a statement out and... Honestly, I was surprised even as much people turned up as they did from a St Johnson contingent because if you're handing over the stadium to Rangers Celtic, and you've seen this with Motherwell as well, fans, I think Alan Burroughs said that, that it was last fans attending these games because they didn't want to sit and listen to what these supporters might be saying, you know, the way they act and everything. And St Mirren's a perfect example that St Johnson should have looked at. They've reduced the allocation and reaped the benefits of being the only team to beat Celtic. Um, well, at home this season. I'm interested to see St Mirren's numbers next season, actually. I, I know a few people were trying to make it, uh, they'd made a mistake out of that because they'd just released their numbers a couple of weeks ago, but that was for last season. So now that they've changed that and, and they've reduced the allocation and they've actually managed to increase the kind of home numbers, I'm interested to see the numbers add up next year. So that's one to but, look out for. The, the thing about St Mirren is obviously they're fan owned, so it's, it's come from the fans. So they've, they've yeah. had to listen to what everybody else is wanting, and then they've done it that way for themselves. And for other non St Mirren fans not to understand it, it's because they're not having to live that scenario. So it, it, it's just a baffling one. For me. I, I, I get the frustration because I, I, I've been that. Travelling Celtic fan, I've not done that for a while, but I used to be going to all the games, and I know how hard it can be to get allocation. And certainly, uh, the way like, tickets are allocated, it always seems to be the, like, the supporters' buses, and people take tickets and then sell them on, so they can get it counted towards themselves. And it, it's, it's, it's how do you break into that in the first place? So I get it from that side of things, I get the frustration, but it's not that's not St Mirren's problem, that's not Hearts' problem, it's not Hibs' problem, it's, not, it's just Celtic's problem. The fans of the other teams, they can take a look after themselves. And if they are kicking out the away fans to bring in the home fans, great. That's the way it should be. And if it's just too bad that these stadiums are too weak to handle things. But they're not, as I said earlier, they're not going to build bigger stadiums to deal with two or four games a season. Nor should they. Hey, we were talking about Rangers, weren't we? Josh, are you excited about Todd Cantwell? Um, you know I don't watch English football, so um, I, I'm led to believe he was a, an extremely exciting prospect a couple of years ago. Uh, apparently he was tearing it up. Um, I've seen clips of him. Um, looks good, but I'm always mindful of, you know, I'm always mindful of compilations and, yeah. and things that you see online because you don't see, you don't see how, you're not seeing how he play, who's played across the 90 minutes, you know what I mean? You can um, make almost anybody look good on YouTube. Exactly. Exactly, you know, I, exactly, mate. Um, you know, so I mean, if you could probably make a compilation of Aberdeen's highlights from last night, um, yeah. and and make them look as if they played well. Um, so yeah, exciting though. Looks, I mean, the one thing that Rangers have lacked, all, all definitely this season, um, and at certain points under Geo, um, last season domestically, we've lacked attacking flair. Um, you know, one of the biggest misses I think has been Hadji. Um, I just absolutely think he's a brilliant player. So we need to, we we need to bring in more um attacking kind of transition from midfield to to final third players, and, and I think Cantwell is one of them. 
Uh, looks like a bit of a silky player. Um, looks like he's got good feet, quick. Um, I um, looks very creative. So so yeah, um, excited about him. Don't know how he's going to fit in with the Rangers. Does um, I mean some of his gear, some of his patter, some of his online kind of stuff, some of his fucking dancing. I tell you that better get wrapped straight away. Sorry, um, he's tweeted about battle fever today. Yeah, that get my set up brown brogues and I'm sure they'll be fine. Um, but yeah, uh, exciting, um, exciting to see it. Raskin is the other one that's exciting. John, I'm sure you were probably going to bring him up and all, but. Um, is he signed, sealed, lovers yet? The Stevie Wonder says it's no, no scarf over the head, but it's you know there's various, various kind of tweets going out from reputable sources. Um, it's not came from Fabrizio, uh, Fabrizio Romano yet, so that's generally when I tend to um, say that <laughs> signing is sealed. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, pretty much it's looking like it's 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 a done deal, either on a Bosman or coming in for a small fee right now. Um, but he he's one that excites me. Um, looking at him, for, I have seen a wee bit of him in Europa League, etc. Uh, not that I watch Belgian football too much, but it reminds me a wee bit more of a kind of he can go box to box a wee bit, which which we're badly needing. We're badly needing a transition player, and I think he could be that player. And the fact he's very young it excites me. Um, makes me um, very horny. Very horny for jobs in the shower. Um, <laughs> jobs in jobs in the shower. He'll be getting. He'll, he'll be get. He'll get a few. He'll be getting a few jobs in the shower. That, that might be the podcast title. Like if we go like old school with uh, the types of titles we used to have. Any other business you expect before the window closes? Five. Uh, Rangers. Yes. I think the boy Whitaker, I think he's off the cards. Um, I, but I don't know. Look, him, I'm not sure about at all. Um, you know, we brought in we, we, we brought in a lot of players from lower leagues England. Some of them have been really good. Some of them have been absolute misses. Um, so we'll see. I mean, folk are always, folk are always you know, I'm talking about highlights. Folk, folk tweeted, folk were tweeting last week, that's incredible goal, goalie score for Plymouth. Um and I'm thinking, right, okay, great, but what else is he been doing, you know? So, um, I, I mean, if he comes in, that's another attacking option. Um, I, I don't think there'll be any other business. I think going out the way I see Charlie McCann left today, be a bit disappointed, but I'm not surprised. Wasn't he going to get any football? Um, what well, wasn't he going to get enough football? Um, I do, I did hear though that there is a, a substantial um, sale on fee there for him so that'll be interesting because I think he's got a big future but apart from that we just need to get rid of the Deadwood you know Hellander sad to say it but I think Morelos probably needs to be on his way out um, he's not going to go last week though is he? no I don't know no I don't know I don't know but, but I, I, you know he, he would be one of the kind of figures that I think we need to transition out of the club um, you know there's a few that are just sitting there kind of picking up a pay packet now Roof the best will in the world, you know, mate, you're a glass footballer. I think we need to get rid of you. you know, if, it was so a, if it was a horse, he'd be quite Yeah, yeah there's a lot of, 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 of changes need to happen at Ibrox, but that's not going to happen in the next week. Um, but yeah, bringing in the hopefully the three or two um, attacking options will help us in that final third that we've, we've struggled with, you know, going back to the St. Johnson game there. We were in control of that game, but you know, it, it was never, 
you know, absolutely putting the game to death like Celtic do. Um, and that's that's the level that we need to get to um, if we're going to win leagues. I think Cantwell is going to be an interesting one because I think that could define Buell in terms of, I think he's pushed for it. I think he's yeah. obviously, you know, Cantwell said himself that he's been very impressed with Buell. Um, as Josh said, it was something that Rangers needed to address in terms of the creativity. When he, his first season in the Premier League, he was pretty sensational with some of the stuff that he was producing. Um, and it's now a case of, was he kind of in an issue with Norwich being a yo-yo club that, that caused inconsistency? Or was it due to him himself? Uh, we're talking about all the highlights. I know the Celtic fans have got one particular highlight where he gives the ball away at uh, Celtic Park. Um during a friendly, and it's almost as if, you know, a kind of social media kind of poll, are you going to get that Cantwell, or are you going to get the the stunning Cantwell? And it, I, I'm very intrigued, because I remember seeing him when he first bust, bust onto the scene in the Premier League, and he was a very, very good, tidy player. And if, if Rangers could get that and reproduce that from him, I think they've got a real steal. I think when he's signed and he's... Interview, you kind of said maybe alluded to the fact that maybe there was some sins going off on off the pitch, and uh, that might have impacted performances as well. But he was definitely good eye that first season, as you say, in the top flight. I think he was getting linked to big moves as well, and they never materialized. So maybe that's affected him. He's maybe thought, oh, I'm going to get a big move to a club that's not materialized, and then he's but is, he not one of the, is he not one of the players that Pep Guardiola went on to the park and was cuddling and saying he had a really good game and Thinking things like I, that? It was, um. Like Pep only usually does that for people he's going to target in the future. Um, he definitely but... tipped to be a bit him, like the next big thing. That's why I was so shocked that he was going to Ibrox, to be honest. And I think, like Josh, being from Rangers' perspective, sending Raskin, who I think's 21, and then Cantwell in his like, early 20s as well, it's what, Rangers, <clears throat> it's what Rangers need because you've got Ryan Jack, wrong under 30, you've got Davis, who's out for a season, Kamara, who question marks over his future so I think Beals came in and he's clearly identified, he knows that Rangers are miles behind Celtic probably can't catch him in the title race but he's now preparing for the future and getting these players at a good age that he can develop and I say hopefully for from him rather than from my standpoint that he can get Rangers back to where they had him when he was number two under Steven Gerrard and probably get that average age of the squad down a bit because it just seems like Rangers have a biggish squad but it's too many hangers on us or people that's injured a lot or people that's not really playing for the badge as well. You mentioned Morelos, Josh. What about Kent and Jack? Would you keep those two? Do you think they're two that the Rangers would keep? Jack's an interesting one. Uh, Robbie's right; he's the wrong side of thirty. But 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 that that I mean that doesn't mean that uh, he wouldn't be of value to the squad. I mean, look at Stephen Davis when he came back at thirty-four. Um, you know, I mean, you could you could you know you have to say that his second spell at Ibrox has been as you know has well maybe not as successful in terms of trophies, but has been a successful one. Um, so I think there is a place for. And I mean, I, I underline this and bold it. I fit Ryan Jack. Ryan Jack has problems with injuries. Um, similar, actually, I don't think he's too dissimilar to Roof in terms of his, you know, uh, 
in re- certainly in recent times anyway, um, it, it just needs to get fit. But you see the value of Ryan Jack, you know, in that Aberdeen game, in the um, semi-final, you know, you see how good a player he can be if we can get him fit. I so think, I think, I think if they if they keep him fit for the rest of the season, I think you're signing your contract. I think that's probably what yeah, they think it is. I agree. I agree. Ken, um, put him in half pay. Can only play one game a week. <laughs> Ken, um, Kent's another one. Um, I, I think Kent probably will sign a new deal. I don't think Morelos will. I think Kent will. I think Kent's came back into himself quite a bit under Bill. Still got a bit to go though. Um, to be to be to be seeing back at his absolute peak. But Kent is one of those. He is a bit of a bipolar footballer, you know. He, he just absolutely excels in the massive games, you know. In that European run, he was unplayable. Um, but then you chuck him in, chuck him in against, you know, Saint Mirren away or, you know, Livingston on, on Livingston's Astro or something. It's just not as effective. Um, Ken, I, I don't know how. Ken's one one that I'll not be able to tell how I feel until the deal, whether it's that he will leave Ibrox or that he'll sign a new deal, or nobody will tell you how I feel until it actually happens. Are you over the other side of Glasgow, Chris? Is new striker imminent? Is that... Well, the talk, I mean, it seems to have dragged on most of January at this point, but uh, the Korean seems to be a, a goal for what they're well, hearing. I don't like why it's still nothing confirmed, but edging closer. It's probably I have to say, it looks like he was dead for a bit, but Seems to come back again. So. When it comes to Celtic, I feel we've came back to Scottish Cup. I'm really sorry for Bolton who voted against VAR in the first place. So the Scottish team that did it to then get that decision against them. But, you know, I think that kind of uh, summed up their feelings on on VAR. That was yeah. uh, quite ridiculous. VAR should be in place in the Scottish Cup if it's not over the ground. Yeah, no. I agree. So I cannot stand VR. Um, I don't think it's a great implementation of technology for football in general. Our implementation of it in Scotland is 20 times worse and it's used by the in- most incompetent people on the planet. And who could have predicted that? Oh, yeah. Everybody. Aye. Aye. So this, this, this weekend possibly outdone themselves because we hadn't had, for, for a start, as you say, the Scottish Cup had three ties out of the lot of them that are VAR and the rest didn't. So where's your sporting integrity there for a start? It didn't even cover all four of the, the games that were on telly because there was no VAR at Darvo, which no. is we've no mentioned it yet, but Aberdeen did have the ball on the net during the game for a wrongly flagged off offside. Now I don't think that would have made any difference really, because by the time that ball was in the net, Darvo had stopped because the whistle had gone long ago. So had VR been in place and the flag had been kept down until later on, Darvo would have kept playing. I don't think I, I think they may have been able to defend it better. So we don't know whether that'd have been a goal or not. That would have been an excuse for Aberdeen to use anyway. But, but for me, the, the 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 worst decision I've seen with VR came in Saturday's game because I have no idea how on anybody's sanity that was a handball against F.A. Ambrose. Because the shot comes in, it hits off one defender, deflects up into Ambrose's arm, which is in a natural position in the first place, and he knows nothing about it. Nobody claimed for a penalty because nobody thought it in their right mind it was going to be a penalty. We then spent about three or four minutes deciding what had happened. 
for not one but two officials, remember, this is a VIA works. One official has said, you need to check this, we think it's a penalty, to then the, Kevin Clancy, the actual referee, goes over and looks at it and he goes, you know what, yeah, that is a penalty. How do you come to that conclusion? It, nobody thinks that's a handball. There's nothing in the rules about that. In fact, the rules actually say that's not a handball because it's deflected off a defender. I, so I how think, on earth has that been given as a penalty? I think, Chris, one thing about the VAR, right, I agree with you about that decision. Uh, no, that I don't. I think it would have made a difference anyway. I think Celtic would have went on no, bar them anyway. So. But, but it did kill the game. Yeah. Um, w- w- one thing about the VAR uh, that I think is that it has given our officials a place to hide. Um, I don't think our officials are particularly strong-willed. Um, I, I think, I mean, you, you look at that clip of John Beaton. Um, what game was it? Was the was it Rangers Aberdeen or or was it what, what game was that a couple of weeks ago? The one where John Beaton get get caught saying it's it's not my it's decision. Not my decision. Yeah. yeah, right. I I think that you know there is an element there where the referees feel that they can defer to the VAR ref who is almost hidden away in this kind of safe wee box and uh, he'll be he or she will be able to see and 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 be able to call the, the the game right now now the headline is that meant to be at least that the referee on the pitch has the ultimate um say over the game it is his or her game full stop right but i think the way that var has been implemented here is it is it's offered our referees an outball you know it's it's offered them a place to hide when they're not too sure and they can just defer to their var referee um because i mean one thing i haven't seen yet is a referee go to um, go to VAR, right? He's been told that, right, you need to check that again. Go to VAR and then stand with his original decision. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? I've not yeah. seen that once. I haven't seen that anywhere in the world. Usually if they run into the telly, something's getting changed. I've not seen it anywhere where they've run into the telly. I went, no, no, you're right. I think you're absolutely spot on. But the, the, the thing that's coming up at the moment, though, is the handball thing specifically, because nobody seems to have an idea of what's going to handball. Leanne Crichton actually made this point on sports scene. As a pundit, she doesn't know what to say anymore, because the referees in this country are so inconsistently given handball or not. There was another incident in the Celtic game where Effie Ambrose handballed it. That was probably more of a penalty. And the argument there is probably, well, it hit his foot and then hit his arm, so I'm not going to give it this time. Well, how is that any different from the previous one that you did give? There's, so you can't eat the one, the same referee, and the same VAR referee, in two separate incidents in the same game can't make a consistent decision. Yet, let alone get it consistent across the board. I mean, we're, we're, a couple of weeks ago we were talking about the the Conor Gilson one with his hands up in front of his, where he's actually he's purposely put his hands up to say, "I, I want I, I want to protect my face, so I know this ball might hit me." That you're taking that that risk there to do that. And yet, that's not a handball, and then suddenly this IFAB example is given that you're allowed to protect your face somewhere. Since yeah, when? No, but no, but that's, that's always the, been given. But that's no, but it should be given. I, I, I totally agree that that should not be given in a sense. If you want to stop headering the ball post game, pre yes. game, and all the rest of it, then yeah, then we go full hog and we try and protect our our footballers from concussions and stuff like that. So I've always kind of advocated that that shouldn't be handball as long as you're protecting your face, your head. But as you're quite rightly said, there's just so much inconsistency with it. Nobody actually knows now what is a proper handball. 
Yeah, and, and, and the, the, other, the other thing that really bugs me about this is we are doing it in such a way that we are fueling conspiracies because, like, you're, you're saying there that you're, now allowed, you're not allowed to protect your face and that decision has been taken in the middle of a Glasgow derby. That's the first time we've seen it appeal and it's gone four Rangers against Celtic. And then there's the other side of things where we've got, like, for weeks now, I've been hearing Celtic fans say, you know what, see at some point, we're going to get a decision that goes our way. It'll be in a nothing game when it doesn't make any difference. And sure enough, the one that goes for Celtic is in a Morton Get Cup game where we were going to dominate it anyway. It's like, oh, that, like whether, if you've done this purposely or not, it doesn't matter at any point because it's fueling that conspiracy theory. It's just... You despair. It's I would... You want VR to get the decisions right. That's what it's there for. We want the decisions to be right and fix the things that have been done wrong or have obviously been missed. But we are using it in such a way that it's making things even worse and we're just getting more and more annoyed. But they why, don't even explain it in the stadium. But why do we just have professional but why don't we just have professional refereeing teams who then spend their full week training, their full week looking at the laws, the full week, you know, researching everything. This, this is the problem I've got. The Scottish referees are incompetent. The Scottish referees have proved time and again they're incompetent. And all that's happening is it's the Scottish referees are training other Scottish referees. We're just moment, breathing incompetence. The, we need to clear out of the entire system and start again. I agree they need to be professional. Yeah, because all we're getting at the moment is somebody who's a lawyer or leader of the Scottish Tory party and they, they, they don't care about what's happening. They just go, right, OK, I'll go back to my day job. It's almost like central belt based as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The Lanarkshire referees are one of the most represented and have been for decades now. Mm-hmm. It's um, just we, we need a clear out. Yeah. We need to start again, and they need to be taught by people who aren't current referees who are clearly not up to the task. Just yeah. remember, I warned you, Dallas. Dallas's son, years ago. Years ago. Yeah, you did. I remember it vividly, and you were absolutely right because he was coming through the ranks. He was in the juniors at the time, and just. Yeah. The, the, the crop that are coming through are just rotten, and they're not. I don't even blame them for being rotten because they've been rotten. And it's no accountability either. That's the thing, man. It's these wrong decisions. We'll talk them. We'll talk about them on these podcasts and pundits. Well, after the game and an analysis, but the referees, they as you say, they can hide in the box, so they don't speak to the media after the game. So they kind of they, they make these decisions, but then. They're not accountable for them. So I think that can be the most frustrating thing. There's some consistency or transparency. And I'm not saying it's got to be like rugby where they're mic'd up. I'd love, I'd love that to be the case. But I, I think I think it would be a few uh, conspiracy theories uh, debunked if that was the case. I what was the thing. Yeah, we we just start questioning the question them up is because I'm swearing. Like, the, the, what happened the last time? Remember, there was it Kenny Clark or something? Somebody get mic'd up and something happened. I can't remember exactly what it was, but um, there was something that happened, and that's kind of put. Uh, maybe it was just swearing. Some. I I think that's probably one of the one of the biggest things. I, I agree with Robbie. It would be good to hear them mic'd up, uh, but uh, I, I think um, the the issue is with the swearing. Remember, uh, in in the Ruggers, in the Ruggers, Ruggers is a. Thugs game played by gentlemen. You know, we, we, all, no we all come together, Darvo, brothers. We all come together, brothers. There's no swearing in rugby. Just good friendship. Um, any other exciting things we think will happen in the transfer window before it closes? 
Ryan Portis will go to Aberdeen and save Jim Goodman's job. <laughs> I'm not even sure he could save Jim Goodman's job now. <laughs> I, I just can't wait for three loan signings on deadline day again. That's going to be peak Aberdeen. But he's a hardby. Oh, three, three loan centre-backs this time for sure. Nah, no, be in a position. Well, a, go- a goalkeeper is a must. I don't know how we went through this whole podcast about me having this rant and I need to have it now. Oh, we yeah, talked yeah. about uh, changes uh, in the chancellor window. If I- Craig Sampson, 40-year-old plus, on the bench for Aberdeen last night. What's that thing to blessing Omer Whammy, the young goalkeeper, when you're putting a goalkeeper coach out of retirement to be on the bench and then Joe Lewis, who can't get down at all to save anything and was fumbling about against Dival. That's got to be a priority as well. It's not because defence is one thing, but if you're not comfortable with your goalkeeper that you're supposed to be protecting, then that's got to cause a big issue. So I'm expecting, as I'm hoping, John, regardless of the outcome at Aberdeen, that there's got to be a busy next, what, seven days? Right, so I'm just going to read this tweet quickly, right, because I know we're all winter beds and stuff. That's kind of sums up Scottish football for me, right? So this is Graham Spears. Not sure this is a popular view with dandies, but I hope Dave Cormack and Aberdeen FC go the extra mile for Jim Goodwin. His team was sheer guts and conviction against Rangers 20th of December and again at Hamden nine days ago. Darvo was a fiasco, but the guy is a good manager. So is that a good manager or just a good pal? Is that, and is that what our journalism what? should be? Oh, we quite, quite often see the media protect managers of their friends, don't we? It's like Malcolm McKay all over again, that kind of thing. It's like that result. Uh, to be fair, I'm not like Jim Goodwin's called anyone there to dodge it. No, 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 but I mean, I mean, Graham Spears backing. But it's, it's, um... it's, it's, Scott, it's, it's Jack Ross. It's, you know, it's, it's the Jack Ross thing. Jack Ross is, consistently got big jobs in Scottish football now, you know, Hibs, well, St Mirren, he done well with St Mirren, relatively speaking, um, you know, and then Hibs and Dundee United. Um, and t- to be honest, I think he got those jobs because the media made out that he was he was a bit of a Scottish football media darling. And is Jim Goodwin a, a bit of the same? I'm not, I don't know, but I mean, you know, Scottish the Scottish football media is very good at that. It was one was it kind of one full season at St Mirren where they kind of hailed him as like a Scottish Pep Guardiola. And then went down to Sunderland, didn't achieve what he should have achieved at Sunderland, considering the backing that he got. And then struggled at Hibs um, after a while and then capitulated at Dundee United. Yet, what, has he already been linked with the Aberdeen job? He was oh, already God, mentioned in the in heart, the... like... Basically, what we're saying I'm not is saying he's going to get it, but this is where it feels. He should just stay at St Mirren, no other level. Seems to be a consistent number. <laughs> Stephen Robinson, the next Aberdeen manager. He's <laughs> been Motherwell managers, wasn't it? Now it's going to be St Mirren managers. I think, I think apparently the camera, my dad said the camera, when at full time it went on to Craig Brown, and my dad was saying, I oh, wouldn't have seen that under his watch. Like he's he's probably got dementia and a lot um in his eighties, but you you wouldn't see us uh, capitulating in that way against the non-league club with safe hands like that. And I'm not saying that's why I said Robson or something, but it's got to be. I'm sure next time you're just speaking on this podcast, I can't 
still be Faberine do stick with Goodwin, they beat Hibs. Surely that club's not going to be that gullible that we've got to be past the chance to market and he's still in charge. The, the shocking thing is they've shown no disrespect, no respect to the podcast. We were expecting to go on this podcast tonight, Goodwin gone, and they've no time to it. It'll, be, it'll happen like first thing tomorrow morning or something like that. That's what oh, no, I think I'm, I'm going to get us edited and published tonight, <laughs> just <Aye>. in case. <laughs> Adding like a wee snippet, there'll be a wee bit like a wee bit at the end of the podcast where you're like just talking to yourself, like season was it season nine <laughs> opener? Like you'll just be talking about how Jim Goodwin's gone. You'll be like, oh, don't remember that bit. <laughs> um, but yeah, thanks everyone for coming on. Thanks also to John Walker for speaking to John Bleasdale about Darvel's successful result in the Scottish Cup. And we shall see you soon. Happy football. <laughs> Thank you. We've managed to get through this entire podcast, not even mentioned an Edinburgh Derby. How did you do that?